join with me as I pray. So, Father, we come to you and approach the altar the only way we can through the sanctifying work of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God and makes intercession right now on our behalf. And because he did and because he does, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and there find our help in time of need. We are a needy people, Father, and you have given us more than we need through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in the beautiful, majestic name of your son, Jesus, that we pray all of these things up to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. The last words that the man who gave us most of the New Testament wrote say this For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness that Jesus himself, the righteous judge, will give to me on that last day. And not only to me, but all to all who loved his appearing. Fifteen plus years ago, the Lord convicted me and encouraged me in the word as I read that passage in my Bible and I heard him say to me, Doug, are you ready to live like that so you can die like that? Those are the words I want on my tombstone if I ever have one or he has not come before that time goes. Paul writes those words as a man on death row. He has been imprisoned again and this time he knows there is no escape. He knows his end has come. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he dies. We saw that last week, obviously, on Easter weekend as we looked at the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday and saw how Jesus willingly went there. And we're going to get a great encouragement by looking at a man who we can relate to in every way because he wasn't the God-man and see how he walked to his death and lived a cross-centered life. So that asks the question, are you ready for this? That's what we're calling this series. Are you ready to live that kind of hill-taking life? This letter we're going to look at over the next six weeks is the most personal and passionate letter Paul wrote. Because that's what happens to you when you know your time is done and you're about to die. You get real. So we're going to get to see how this man of God encourages us when he knows his time here is done. What is he going to say to us? What is he going to encourage us with? Ultimately, if I had to summarize it in one sense, it would be, don't let your circumstances dictate your fears. Preach the gospel in every situation, all the time, with your very life. Preach the truth that God created all things to his glory, and we were in perfect relationship with him, but in our rebellion, 
we severed that relationship. And in our continual rebellion, we have continued to do that. But God, rich in mercy, when we were dead in our sins, sent his son to die for us. That he might reconcile that relationship. He did it, we didn't. So that someday he will restore all things back to the way they were in the garden. And as believers in Christ, we get to help not only participate in, but tell that grand grace story. So that's what we're looking at today in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Is we are, are we good at guarding our treasure? Because we have an amazing treasure. The treasure that we're guarding is the gospel. It is all that Paul wrote in 12 of the 13 letters that he writes before he gets to this place. And he's going to challenge Timothy to guard that treasure because it is priceless. So the question is, for today, is how do we guard the treasure that God has given to you? How do we guard that? And we're going to look at four things. We rehearse it, we rejoice in it, we rely on it, and we rest upon it. So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. It's the letter after where we were in the invocation. So all the T's are together in your New Testament, which is handy. It's not the order they were written in, but it's the order they were placed in, which is nice. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy, and we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to see what it looks like to rehearse the treasure he has put in us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ, to Timothy, my beloved son. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, I wish we still talked like that. Don't you? I mean, like, like, look, just look at the richness of that. According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to my beloved son. Timothy was his spiritual son. He was not his physical son, but it made no difference to Paul. And then he says, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is with you in, in you as well. Paul's our, Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. The point is, Timothy was raised in a religious home. And he came to faith in Christ. Through, maybe through the ministry of Paul. Maybe he was already a Christian by the time Paul got him there. But I want to take a minute and talk to the young people in the audience. If you are raised in a home that is Christ-centered, praise God. I was not. Your parents are not keeping you from things. They are protecting you from things. I know. Just ask me. If you're struggling to figure out what your parents are doing in your life and why they're keeping you from the fun the world has offered you, I beg you to come talk to me after the service today. However, that was an aside, 
back to the story. Paul is writing this letter. As I said, he is in prison. He is not in a house prison anymore. He is in a prison prison. It is a cold, dark place that you can actually go visit to this day. And he is chained to a wall. He is all alone. And to top it off, the church is in trouble. From a worldly human perspective, the church that he helped start, in fact, like no other human who's ever lived, we are who we are in Christ. This church is what it is in Christ because of the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. And yet, at the point that he is now in prison and chained to, chained to a wall, the church, from a human perspective, is dying. Nero has come to power. Christians are being persecuted all over the place. It is no longer popular to be a Christian. This is written in 67 or 68 AD, 30 years after Paul gets saved, 30 plus years after Jesus gets crucified and rises again, and the church is already in trouble. Case in point, he leaves Timothy in Ephesus, this church that at one point was a thriving, wonderful church, and everyone there has deserted Paul has walked away from Paul, and he's left Timothy there. That's probably why Timothy's crying when Paul leaves, when he says, I, I remember your tears. He's probably like, don't leave me here. You're one of the few Christians I still have in my life. That's the world Timothy is living in. But in light of this, let's look and see how Paul tells Timothy to live in these perilous times. Because, guys, you have to be, we're living in those times. I loved where um, Dave took the prayer during the, the pastoral prayer at the beginning of the service because he was talking about the persecuted church overseas and how persecution is growing in this country. I didn't ask him to pray those things, but it's true. We are still not persecuted at a level like they are in places like Sri Lanka, but more, it is less popular now to be a Christian in our country than it has ever been. So not only is Paul, so don't take this as well, Paul's talking to Timothy. Guys, this letter has great value for us right now so let's look at verse six for this reason i remind you to kindle afresh the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands for god has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline guys it takes both devotion to christ and discipline to be a disciple right it takes gazing on the beauty that is jesus in his word and you doing your part let go like God is not in the Bible. Just sitting back and praying about it is not in the Bible. Letting God do what God's going to do and recognizing his sovereign work in your life is in the Bible. Praying for things is in the Bible. Just doing those things is not in the Bible. Paul lived and died a life that proves that. He is not in jail today because all he did was sit in his prayer closet and pray that the gospel would go forward. He got in people's grills, and it cost him. And we're going to see whether he thinks it was worth it. But Timothy is not Paul, and he has kind of a weak countenance, and he's sort of a timid person. And so, so Paul is reminding him, God has not given you, you. You might be naturally timid, but God has not given you a spirit of timidity, of cowardice is what that word actually means in the Greek. He's saying he has not given you a spirit of timidity, but he has given you one of power and love and discipline. 
Now, what was Timothy's problem? Well, just like us today, he was, being, he was feeling attacked. Some of those attacks were coming from within himself. He was probably feeling, and this is my big one, self-pity. Ever get there? Woe is me. I'm the only one. Nobody understands. Nobody's listening. If they'd only do what I say, I'm, all, I'm the only one who's being persecuted. I, I, I feel, I, like whatever, fill it in. Self-pity. Neglect. He's suffering from neglect. Maybe he was just getting lazy. Maybe he was just shutting down because he saw the church, quote-unquote, losing. There were also t- attacks from outside of him. He had real reasons to be fearful. The roads were lined with Christians on crosses. What about shame? People making fun of you. Oh, you're a Christian? You still believe that stuff today? Or just carelessness? Just getting distracted with all of the stuff in the world? How are we doing with that? He talks about, remember the gift that was, laid, that was in you and the laying on of my hands. Guys, that is not his salvation story. That is his um, ordination story. He's saying, and he tells us in 1 Timothy, that the presbytery, the elders of the church, came and laid hands on you and ordained you to be a pastor. Pastors are not to be timid. Pastors are not to be meek. Pastors are to be bold and disciplined as they love the sheep. He's telling him, Don't feed your fear, feed your faith. Don't feed your fear, Timothy, feed your faith. In our vernacular, turn off the news and open the good news. Stop scrolling your social media account and have some real face time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't feed the idol of self. Go love your neighbor. So today's question, how do you guard the treasure entrusted to you? First we have to, sorry, first we have to rehearse it. We have to remember, okay, wait a minute, this is who I was in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. This is who I will be in Christ. And then we have to rejoice in it. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life, and immortality to light, through the gospel. Guys, we just celebrated that last weekend. It feels like a long time ago in my world, but that was just last Sunday that we celebrated that he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. I love that picture of sandwiched between he, suffering. Join with me in suffering, he tells us in verse 8. And then he says in verse 12, I suffer these things. Wait a minute. Sandwiched in between those, for for this reason I suffer the, sandwiched between those sufferings, what's there? Here's what's there. The gospel. It's gospel, gospel, gospel. Why? Because guys, when it's all said and done as Christians, the gospel's all we got. That's it. Life is hard. 
things are going to happen. You're going to hurt. You're going to get scarred. The gospel is all we have, but here's the best news. The gospel's more than you need. It's not just all you need. It's more than you need. If Christ is who he is, then what we have through him is an abundance of grace we can't even comprehend, the word of God tells us. But is it strange that Paul is encouraging this timid, beloved brother, son, by saying, suffer? Is that, that seems a little odd to me. But here's the thing. Guys, when, when we are telling our children, which is what Paul thought of Timothy, his spiritual son, when we're telling our children what to live for, we need to be sure we're telling them the right thing. I wrote this down because I didn't want to mess it up and, and give you the wrong, so, so I'm just going to read what I wrote. It is not our highest calling to get our kids into the right school, the best career, or even the right marriage. Guys, those are important, especially that last one. But that's not the highest calling. That is not the win as a parent. The win as a parent, is helping them get their final destination right and to live today for what really matters for all eternity. That's a win. Why? Because that lasts forever. That lasts forever. We have to get, I think we, we tell our kids, you need to live for Christ, and then what we do is we push them, and we push them, and we push them, and we push them, and we push them in everything that is not the gospel. And then we wonder why they walk away. Guys, are we, are we, by our own example, living a life ready to die for the gospel? And then looking at our kids and going, just follow me. Just do what I do. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm still going to get up early and be in the word. Yeah, I, I get that I'm going to get ridiculed. I'm still going to tell this person about Jesus. How does Paul know that the treasure he's going to receive is better than the pain he's being inflicted, that's being inflicted by personal experience. Paul could have written this to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you know me. You know my story. I've walked with you for a long time. You know the imprisonments, the punishments, the beatings. I got stoned to death once and, and got up and walked back into the city that stoned me. I've been in prison multiple times. Hey, you know that. Run, brother. Run. Don't sign up for this deal. Head for the hills. Hunker, at the very least, hunker down and get yourself to a safe place, Timothy. He doesn't say that. He says exactly the opposite of that. He says, proclaim the gospel, remember Christ, preach Jesus, and be ready to suffer. Why? Because Paul was convinced, convinced that it was way better than worth it. The question is, do we? Guys, right now, look, look at how verse 12 starts. For this reason, I suffer these things. Right now, what, what, what this word is asking me is, Doug, for this reason, are you ready to suffer with me? John, for this reason, are you ready to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel? Tom, for this reason, are you ready to suffer with Jesus for the sake of the gospel? Daniel, for this reason, are you ready to suffer with Jesus for the sake of the gospel? It, it's God's word. 
let it speak to your heart. The power of the gospel tells us of the importance of the gospel. Guys, the gospel message is the only way to immortality and eternal life with God. That's it. That's pretty important. Listen to these words of Jesus. Heed this well. If you've tuned out because you're like, oh, here goes Doug again, the gospel, gospel, gospel. Listen to what Christ says here. And he was saying to them, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever, wishes, and, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Or what does it man, profit a man who gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? But guys, we, we, we know that. I've used that passage a lot here. Keep reading. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Guys, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. That isn't the Jesus I want Jesus to be. But I need to take it up with him, because he said it. Because if, if, if we're not living, if we're living lives that are ashamed of the gospel, and you say, well, I don't do that. I'm not ashamed. I'm not hiding it. Okay, but what are you doing with it? You might, if, if you're not presenting it and projecting it and proclaiming it, what is that? Because ultimately, let's just be real. We're, we're ashamed. We're afraid of what people, we're more afraid of people than we are of what Jesus just said right there. So are you ready for this? Are you ready to live for something bigger than yourself? Are you ready to keep looking and climbing up for the sake of the gospel, no matter how hard the climb? Guys, this, this six-week series we're in is going to lead us perfectly into our summer series, Lord willing, which is on Revelation. And it's all about living our lives for what is to come, because that lasts forever. That's what the book of Revelation is about. For this reason, back to 2 Timothy 12, the first half of it, I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. I love how Paul says it in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. So how do we guard the treasure entrusted to us? First we have to rehearse it, we rejoice in it, and then we rely on it. I'm going to skip the rest of verse 12 for just a minute, we'll come back to it, and look at verse 13. Paul tells Timothy to rely on it, retain, keep, hold on to the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in, the, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He's saying keep a tight grasp on, and then sound words is really right teaching. Keep and, like, get and keep a grasp on the truth. Guys, doctrine matters. What we believe matters. It's why we proclaim God for who he is. Not for who we'd like him to be. Teaching self-help strategies in churches on Sunday helps no one. Doing a series on how to deal with your anxiety or how to have a better marriage is not healthy as a regular diet for a Christian. Why? 
Because who is the center of those messages? Us. By definition, it's us. How do you deal with anxiety? Well, here's a verse for that, and here's a verse for that. Guys, the problem is the focus. Our job is, as the church is to be the pillar, hold up, and buttress, defend the truth. The truth is him, not me. Right? The gospel is about raising high him, not me. So when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ. He's saying proclaim the whole truth of Scripture because that is what the body, that is what will build up the body of Christ to look like Jesus, which is why we're here. But the question becomes, what is truth? What is truth? It's the, it's the question Pilate asked Jesus, remember from Friday? He looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth anyway? Truth was staring him in the face, and he missed it. And we can look at that, like I talked about on Friday night, and go, yeah, but that was, you know, yeah, Pilate, how could he be so clueless? Guys, here's the truth. Here's the truth about the truth. The truth is staring us in the face every time we open this book. Because this is Jesus. Do we miss it? And do we use it? The psalmist writes in Psalm, at the very end of a very long psalm about the word of God, he says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. His word will stand forever. Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. It is not open to interpretation for, uh, by us. It's not open for us to change it into something because of a popularity poll that we took. And this part of the word just ain't selling anymore, so I'm going to stop saying it. No. He doesn't say that the, that the word of the Lord stands for a while, and then he'll give you a new word so that we can actually reach the culture where they're at. He says, no, the word of the Lord stands forever. And that's a really long time. Jesus is the word, he is the center of the word, and we have to proclaim him. He is the end and the means, not just the means. We are not the end. In Psalm 119.89, he says, forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens, fixed. We don't have the right to change it. We don't get to pick and pluck the parts we like. We don't get to white out the parts that say live with your wives in an understanding way. Just because I don't know how. We don't. It is what it is. And it was written by God. So how do we guard the treasure that's entrusted to us? First we rehearse it. We rejoice in it. We rely on it. And then we rest upon it. And we rest upon him. I'm going to go back to the second half of verse 12. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Look at verse 14. Guard through your Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What's the treasure? The treasure is the who. Paul doesn't say, I know what I believe. Doctrine is important, and we need to know why we believe what we believe. 
But ultimately what it comes down to isn't do we have some sort of set, like, like head knowledge, but do we personally and passionately know the who, who is the knowledge, who is the wisdom. I know who I believe. Why do we have to guard it? Can we lose it? Not if you're his. You can't lose it if you're his. But it can be diminished. It can be watered down. It can be hidden. So the question becomes, what are we living for? Guys, the, the reality is it has to be about more than just us. This life has to be about more than just us. And how I live this life has to be about more than just me. Because otherwise, when I get to the end of my days, how could I possibly write the words that, Tim, that Paul wrote? For I have been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure, not his death, I'm just leaving. I'm just going from this place to the next. The time of my departure has come, but I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Because you can't wait until you're on your deathbed to go, I, I sure hope my life is lived that way. We have to do it now. We have to commit to doing that now. Guys, it has to be more than just us. It has to be more than just living this best life now. Where we're pursuing our own comfort and our own riches and trying to get our kids to follow suit. We have to live for something bigger and beyond us. Otherwise, what's the point? And guys, get this, especially in our little audience, it has to be about more than just some moral convictions that we have. That our morality as Christians, because we're people of the word, is better than the world's. Guys, as Christians, we can do better. As Christians, we can do better than just present a list of do's and don'ts to people. As Christians, we can do better than just say, all you really have to do is live right. As Christians, we have to say, no, the point is Jesus. Point people to Christ. Here is Paul, all alone, chained to a wall. Timothy never makes it back to him. He's executed shortly after he writes and sends the letter. And what does he tell Timothy? What does he tell us? What is, at the end of this man, this, this man of faith, like, like no other man who's ever lived, his his connection to Christ and the Spirit are overwhelmingly obvious in the 13 letters he writes to us. What does he say? Live for Christ. Live for him. Live for him. Guarding what we believe is not about holding on to it and hiding it. It's about letting it go and sharing it. It's about being on the offensive for the gospel. It's about recognizing that because I know who I believe in, I can't stop telling people about it. I can't stop living it. It's just part of who I am. If someone were to follow me around, would, I be, would, they, just, would they just be led right to Christ just by how I'm living my life? That's what Paul is asking us to do. So how do we get past those fears and those feelings that are real? Guys, they're real. Timothy was really afraid. How could you not be? You're walking down a road watching your brothers and sisters in Christ get hung on crosses. How could you not be a little fearful? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 
treasure what has been entrusted to you. It has to be a supernatural thing. Guys, by the power of the Spirit, we have to personally and passionately follow hard after Christ. Because the time for playing games in Christianity is over. Some of you are sitting here today, and I praise God for everybody that's sitting here today. But some of you are sitting here today, and you, and you say you're a Christian. And, and if someone were to follow you around, they would go, what makes you think that? I don't know who you are. I don't have, I, I don't have a face in my head. But guys, at the end of your day, the scariest words Jesus spoke, if the ones we saw earlier weren't enough, was, Depart from me, for I never knew you. He spoke that to a group of people who were professing him as Lord. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? Weren't, weren't we just morally better than everybody else? And he's like, yeah, but here's the problem. I didn't know you. And you don't know me. That's the question. The question on the table for all of us today, believer and unbeliever, do you really know who you believe? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for that truth, God. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that your truth is Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. So Lord, I pray right now for those who have never stepped into the grace you so freely offer. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that their hearts would be softened to the truth of who you are. It's a hard truth that is sweetly given. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the only way we can. You are both just, so you must deal with our rebellion. And we are all rebels. But you're also the justifier who said, it is finished as your last words on a cross you didn't deserve. I pray that we would just step into that. I pray that we would stop trying to white-knuckle discipline ourselves into some form of Christianity. Or maybe worse, just say, well, I prayed a prayer. I raised my hand. I'm sitting here in church, right? So I'm his. The time is short. Father, I know that the time is short. And the reckoning is serious. I thank you that the eternal reckoning for those who believe was wiped clean at the cross. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't walk out of here feeling like I just got to do better for Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get serious today. I pray that we would get on our faces before you, that we'd be on our knees before you, that we would beg the Holy Spirit to come into our very lives in a new and fresh way that, that the affections of our heart 
would overcome whatever the circumstances are that we have. That we wouldn't live by fear because we've been feeding our feelings, but we would live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That we would live by the truth of your word because it has become real in our hearts. Lord, I pray that at the end of our days, every soul in this room would be able to say, I have poured my life out as a drink offering to God. In Jesus' name, amen.